Welcome to The Writer's Edge, a podcast exploring writing across the disciplines, from the arts to the sciences and everything in between. We're coming to you from Shark Tank Number 2 in the NSU Writing Communication Center on the fourth floor of the Alvin Sherman Library in Baby, Florida. Today we're showcasing a student podcast by Nicole and Noemi, graduates of the Master of Arts program in Composition, Rhetoric, and Digital Media. In this episode, they explore the construction of and the differences between the book and movie versions of the Harry Potter series in a podcast they've titled Parchment to Portrait. Enjoy. and welcome back to another episode of Parchment to Portrait. Today we're going to be talking about the Goblet of Fire chapters one through four. We'll be starting there. I'm so excited. This is my favorite book. It's a very good book. This is my favorite one. Also a very good movie. Very different though. It is. And usually when people tell me that they haven't seen it yet or they think it's too much of like a kid movie or a kid book, I direct them like fine. If you really want to give it a chance, start at four. Because mm-hmm. four is where it's still good and there's action, and then watching, also it gets dark. Watching four <clears throat> is what made me want to read the books in the first place. Like, I had tried reading them when I was younger, and you know, it didn't stick because I think I was too young. Mm-hmm. Then, when I was about 10 or 11, I was watching the fourth movie, and I was like, wow, this is really good. I should probably read these books. And then I did, and here we are. Oh, interesting. I thought you just read, off the, read the books, all of them, right off the bat. Yeah, no, I, I think I tried reading the first one when I was, like, really young, and then it just didn't, I wasn't feeling it for whatever reason, and then I used to always watch the films, and when I watched the fourth film, it, like, solidified it for me. I was like, everybody else is reading these. Everybody says they're really good. Right. The movies are really good. The book is always better, therefore, uh, I should read sense. the books. <laughs> I think it was Deathly Hollows for me. I was, It was already very much in... Mm-hmm. I think the second one had already came out, like the second Buffy Hollows. So and I was like, watching the first, and then the first, I'm like, all right, I got to go back to this. Mm-hmm. Like, I need to watch all the movies again. Um, you had the same benefit that people have now when they, like, binge watch shows that have been around for yes. years. Yes. <laughs> well, that's what I'm doing with Game of Thrones now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, I started really late, and then I binge, and it was great, and I could watch one after the other, after the other, after the other. Binging is the best. Binging is the best. All right, so we're going to start with chapter one. It's called The Riddle House. And we have things to say about chapter one. We do. The fact that there are a bunch of stuff that isn't talked about in the movie at all, which are actually really important later on in the story. Yeah. I mean, chapter one is shown in the films. Um in like a really truncated way yeah because it starts it starts with the riddle house yeah great perfect because chapter one is called the riddle house (laughs) (laughs) so in the film we see uh frank the caretaker though we don't know his name um and he notices something in the house that he the riddle house that he cares for Mm -hmm. um i think he sees a fire you know burning in in a window uh so he thinks the implication in the film is that he thinks it's, like, some meddling kids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Trying to do some, like, magic seance. Yes, exactly. In the and dark on the day or something. <laughs> and then he goes up uh, to investigate, and he overhears a few things from Voldemort and Wormtail. Uh, he comes across Nagini, and he dies pretty suddenly, and, like, that's kind of it. Like, that's yeah. kind of what we get of chapter one in yeah. the film. Yeah. 
which I get why they would just kind of like keep it minimum mm-hmm. in the movie. But man, like the first time I read the chapter and I saw like the whole background story, mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, this is important. Yeah. And it was interesting to the way that she started off this book because I think this is the first um, book where chapter one isn't Harry at number four, Perfect Drive. This is the first one she does that? Where he's not there. Where he's not there. Yeah. Like, this is the first oh, time is. that she yeah. deviates sort of from that formula. Right. Um, Which we'll get to in a second. Yeah. Um, so it is pretty cool that you see the Riddle House first. Like, that's the first thing that you see. Mm-hmm. But then, I mean, dang, that would have been a really cool, like, enriched story there. Definitely. I mean, she is giving us so much background information that comes into play later on in the series when it comes to the Riddle family and how they were seen within, like, their village Mm -hmm. and their town. Um, And the book does it nicely because it's it's not necessarily talking about the the members of the the Gaunt family or the Riddle family. It's not the Gaunt family, sorry. The Riddle family. Mm -hmm. It talks about, yeah, (laughs) it talks about Frank Rice Mm -hmm. and the ways the villagers saw him because, mm-hmm. you know, he was a war veteran. And yeah. it's all from Frank's perspective, mm-hmm. but it's talking about the riddles. Yeah. What's important is the riddles. Yeah. It's really cool. I mean, I like kind of like another added character yeah. who was ridiculously, like his life was completely influenced by what happened to Voldemort mm-hmm. or Tom Riddle Jr. <laughs> um, but I think it's a weird, it's a weird and cool way to talk about Tom through another person. Mm-hmm. And it, brings up some interesting social commentary um, when we think about the villagers and how they respond to the Riddle's murders. So to take a step back really quick, um, in the chapter, the actual chapter, it discusses um, the Riddle murders. So basically it's Tom Riddle Sr. and his parents are murdered in their home. Um, nobody knows how, uh, the police do an autopsy and nobody can figure out even what they died from. It, they looked to be in perfect health, um, except they looked terrified, (laughs) (laughs) like they were scared to death or Mm -hmm. frightened to death. Um, and then everybody immediately suspects Frank, who is the caretaker, um, and everybody thinks he's like a little off because like you said, he's a war veteran, um, and just like a generally unpleasant unfriendly guy Mm -hmm. or at least you know he like keeps to himself right um so it's a really interesting transition in just a few pages even like a couple pages i think where the village perspective changes from like "Mm, frank seems all right i don't think he did it to Mm uh he's definitely the one um he's getting away with murder right now Mm -hmm. and then nobody likes him everybody ostracizes him pretty much for the rest of his life I mean, in a social context, I think J.K. Rowling does really good in explaining that, that it's all gossip. Mm-hmm. Because she says in a line somewhere that it's, you know, the story has been retold over and over again. And mm-hmm. it's already, like, a known thing of how weird the riddles died. And it had to be Frank, even though he got off. Mm-hmm. I think it shows a lot about, you know, just the social context of the villagers, especially at that time. Where they had nothing else to do but talk about the gossip. <laughs> yeah, I mean, can you imagine, like, living in this tiny little village? Um, you're muggles, right? So mm-hmm. these aren't wizards. This isn't a wizarding community. This mm-hmm. is, like, a full muggle community. So, like, the assumption is not a lot of interesting stuff is going on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, and then, you know, you have this, like, really scandalous murder of these this rich family mm-hmm. and this creepy old guy who mm-hmm. um, everybody thinks, you know, offed them. I mean, I don't know. Like, I think it's a pretty natural way uh, to respond to that. As maybe. a muggle. As a muggle. That's what I think is really cool. And that's what reminded me of what you were saying now. Yeah. Like, it's it's a good comparison of how muggles think and then how the wizarding world, you know, enforcement people view it. Like, oh, nothing's wrong with them. I'll tell you nothing. A wizard did it. Like, mm-hmm. they know. But muggles, obviously, don't think that way. Like, what could have happened? They have to do an autopsy. They have to think logically. He has the keys. He's the closest one. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's a good way to show how different the way muggles think. And poor Frank is condemned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and can we please talk about his confrontation with Voldemort? Because like you said, in the movie, he's just killed mm-hmm. for being nosy. Yeah. You know, he's just trying to still do his job after all the crap he's gone through. Mm-hmm. After all the commentary and gossip, he still goes to the house and takes care of it as an old man. The poor guy has like weak joints. and Yes, and he trembles on way with his... Cane. With his cane and goes up and up the stairs, <laughs> and then <laughs> the movie is just like he just looks like a curious old man. Like, what's going on here? These aren't kids, and mm-hmm. it looks like he's being nosy. No, he's trying to defend the house the way he's done for I don't know how many years. And mm-hmm. then in the book, which is definitely not shown in the movie, you see him confront Voldemort. Like he's having a full on conversation and. Mm-hmm. Asking him questions as if he knows this dude and, you know, what he's doing in here. He's still defending the house. He died defending the house. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. He's really um, noble, if you think about it, and, like, yeah. a super underrated character, if you ask me. Because yeah. he's, like you said, just doing his job after years and years of judgment mm-hmm. and nobody liking him. He still gardens. He still, like, makes sure their garden looks impeccable amazing mm-hmm. and then he thinks some hoodlums are up in the house mm-hmm. like making a mess and he wants to go and stop them and he loses his life for it and it kind of sucks yep and then you don't hear about him again yeah you see him for like a second at the end but mm-hmm. no one knows why he's coming out of Harry and Voldemort's connection mm-hmm. and then the assumption too is that the village isn't gonna care that poor Frank is dead. Yeah. It'll just be another thing for them to gossip about. Yeah, that's true. Mm. And the story, his story dies there. No one will ever know. Mm-hmm. It's sad. <sighs> well, <laughs> moving from there, he hears the conversation that's happening between Voldemort and Wormtail. Mm-hmm. And honestly, you don't see enough interaction between the two throughout the movies um, once so Wormtail is reunited with him. And when I read the books for the first time, I'm like, wow, this Wormtail plays such a significant part mm-hmm. um, in Voldemort's rise, more than just what we see at the end of The Goblet of Fire. And honestly, if you ask my opinion in the movies, Wormtail seems a little bit more courageous. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if it's just the character portrayal from the actor, mm-hmm. um, but he seems very much more of a coward in the books than in the movies, although I still know he's a coward in the movies. But yeah, something about the dialogue that happens... Every single time Wormtail speaks, is cowardly. And mm-hmm. I don't see that in the movies. Mm-hmm. But specifically when you read it in this chapter. Yeah, this chapter is really interesting because we... 
I feel like we don't usually see Voldemort in a one-on-one -on -one conversation with any of his followers. Like, that's very rare that we're ever privy wow, to that. that's true. You know? Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. So, I mean, just to hear him, and then we could even, if you want, compare it to, like, his conversation with Snape in book seven versus, mm -hmm. you know, how he's speaking to Wormtail here in book four. Like, at least with Snape, there's some sort of level of, like, mutual respect, mm -hmm. at least in the the most sense that Voldemort can have it because he's, like, this big-headed, like, right. arrogant man who thinks he can't die. Um, with Wormtail, there's just, like, straight-up disdain. He just yes. does not like this man, and he needs him because he's super weak. Yeah. Um, but he still manages to intimidate him. It's really interesting, the, the, the power that he has over Wormtail because he's such a coward. Yeah. But he still appreciates him, in a sense, for, like, just being there to do his bidding. Mm -hmm. But he does wishes. Like, he's very aware you are not a loyal Mm -hmm. Robert, he says it more than once in the book. You're, you, yeah. you, you came back because you, you're a coward and you fear what I can do to you. Mm -hmm. Not because you're loyal to me, not because you agree with me, not for anything else. Yeah. Um, so he's frustrated, but like, fine, like, you're still my puppet. I don't mm -hmm. like you, but you're still my puppet. Yeah. So. And unfortunately, he still needs him because he can't milk Nagini himself, mm -hmm. which that's an interesting tidbit that we don't get in the film. <laughs> the milking of the snake. <laughs> You know, I the assumption that I get is that you're milking her fangs. I think that's usually what you mean when you say milking, um, like, a reptile. But also, sense. I wonder if there's any mention of it in the chapter, if, there, if it indicates, like, if it means milking her fangs or, like, if she has some weird teat that we don't know about. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. We're just we're just gonna leave that one there. Has J.K. Rowling ever <laughs> um, addressed that? I'm sure someone has asked her at some point. You know, she's <laughs> gonna have to research that. She addresses a lot of things, so <laughs> it's entirely possible. Yes, I agree. Mm. I even applaud Wormtail sometimes for like just asking questions mm -hmm. to Voldemort. Like, for example, in the chapter when he's like, "Can't we do it without Harry? Like, mm -hmm. is he really necessary? Like." What can I do to make you happy? I see the little attempt in being mm -hmm. loyal. Like if I'm gonna be here, I might as well ask and what you know what way could he use me? But it even makes me wonder if any part of him is at all remorseful about what he's done to James and Lily and what he's done to Harry in turn. Okay. I mean, you definitely see it at the, like at the end of Deathly Hallows. Oh, yes. That's yeah. a, not the end, I think, in the middle. You see it there. You do. <laughs> he has, like, a split second of, like, hesitation, and then, you know, that he dies. That was poetic. It was. It was poetic. I yes. was not expecting that. It was... I, I was weirdly torn about it. Like, I thought it was just, but also I was like, man, that's really... Sad and I mean it's brutal. Yeah, it's cruel. It's very Game of Thrones worthy. In yeah. my opinion, if I'm going to put it on a level of like cruel, it's Game of Thrones worthy. And mm -hmm. I was actually very surprised to see it in the book. And it shows that you know Voldemort knows his followers. That's for sure. At least you know some of them. Yeah. Um. You were saying like it's his. 
um, remorsefulness against. Right. So, yeah, it just makes me wonder, like, is he sorry? Like, is any of that hesitation to involve Harry born out of, um, I don't know, him just, like, feeling bad and being like, "Mm, maybe let's not try to fuck this kid over anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Or is it just a complete, you know, cowardice and not wanting... Voldemort calls him out on that. Yeah. I don't know. I I wouldn't have thought of that. Like, I would have just thought, like, he's legit trying to be the best little servant he could be. Mm -hmm. Because if he was willing to even go back to find Voldemort in, what was it, Romania? Mm -hmm. If he's even willing. Albania? Albania. Thank you, Romania. Albania. (laughs) If he's willing to scatter over there and look for him, Mm -hmm. I think it's because he's trying to be a good servant and not die. And mm-hmm. trying to be a good guy. Like, let me pick the winning side and do whatever I need to do for the winning side. Yeah. Even though they're going to lose. <laughs> <laughs> we know that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. Um, so, yeah. Super interesting sort of... Mm, what's the word I'm looking for? Exchange. Super interesting exchange between Voldemort and Wormtail. It's and it's where you see it the most. Yeah. Even, like, in the books. Not so much the movies, obviously, because the movies, like you said, you don't see it at all, hardly. Yeah. But even like, in the books, this is probably where you see their dynamic mm-hmm. the most in this chapter. Yeah. There's only, like, a few seconds of it in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's really, really interesting. I agree. Yeah. There was something else that I wanted to mention. Um, there's this line that Voldemort says... To Wormtail, that I think is amazing foreshadowing. Ooh, I like I'm going to read it. <laughs> I'm going to read it out to you. By the way, we're having butterbeer and it's delicious. It is, yes. It's not from the Wizarding World of Harry Potter necessarily, but it is Flying Cauldron Butterscotch Beer. Uh, they're not sponsoring us, but they should. <laughs> <laughs> so, Voldemort says... However, I do not deny that her information was valuable. Um, Insertion here from me, Nicole. Uh, We're talking about Bertha Jorkins, I think, and uh, Wormtail's sort of role in helping with that. Um, So yeah, Voldemort says, I do not deny that her information was invaluable. Without it, I could never have formed our plan, and for that, you will have your reward, Wormtail. I will allow you to perform an essential task for me, one that many of my followers would give their right hands to perform. <laughs> Come on. Nicely done. Honestly, Nicely if done. nothing else, you have to admire his style. Mm-hmm. He is a freaking bastard. He is an evil, evil, evil being. I can't even call him a human being or a person. That is an evil Thing. Entity. Yes. I don't even know. He's the worst. But man, crafty. Yeah. And it's <laughs> so interesting crafty. in a kid's book. Yeah. Like look how cruel people can be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Learn early. <laughs> and this is why I think these I mean, one of the many reasons why I think these books are appropriate for adults because somebody will read this mm-hmm. and then chapters and chapters later we see Wormtail literally give up his right hand and if you reread this it's like oh my god yeah like but again i go back to like whenever someone is interested in harry potter or like i can kind of see they're gonna start i'm like dude just start at four honestly three is a great way to start mm-hmm. um 
mainly because of Sirius. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you kind of see Harry growing up in the sense where he just wants revenge when he thinks that Sirius is really guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, just start at four. If, you're, if they're an adult, I tell them, start at four, man. That's when it gets, it gets real, it gets dark, it gets real and dark. <laughs> it does. It's really dark. <laughs> I usually tell people if I'm trying to get them into it, um, I always want everybody to read in order because I'm like this weird completionist right. person and I just, it just, I have this weird OCD, it bothers me. <laughs> <laughs> so I try to get people to start at one and I just, I, I preface it by saying one and two are undoubtedly children's books. Yes. They are aimed towards children. Yes. So you're going to have to get through them. Yes. But it's not going to take you that long because they're, you know, they're shorter. Mm-hmm. Three, you start getting a little bit more into, like, the nitty-gritty of the series. And then four, it's just like, bam, here's all the darkness yeah. and then you didn't know you needed. Honestly, the five and six, like, shit is hitting the fan. Like, mm-hmm. shit is going to go down. Yeah. There's... It gets, it just keeps going. And you know what made me... Not realize that, but like kind of go into it because, mind you, I started reading the books and I stopped. And then I saw an interview uh, between J.K. Rowling and Daniel Radcliffe, mm. and that she told him when he was young, "Listen, this is gonna get darker." And I had no idea what the rest of the books were like. So hearing her say it out of her mouth, I'm like, "They're gonna get darker." Like she's preparing him for how dark it's gonna get. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, cool. Like that. I was already, you know, a teenager who thought I was the shit. So I'm like, yeah, great. <laughs> Adult content, give me. <laughs> um, but it's something that a lot of people always say about Harry Potter, that if you started as a kid and you kept up with it, you grew up with Harry. Yeah. And those are, like, significant years, man. Those are awkward teenage years. Oh, yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And it, it just, honestly, one of my biggest regrets is not following Harry Potter when I should have when I was growing up. Um, I think it would have helped me have, like, a plate. Like, Hogwarts would have been my home mm-hmm. type of metaphor. <laughs> I mean, it was, you know, it was really nice growing up with it. You know, when I did start reading the books mm-hmm. and, you know, the few times that I had to, like, wait for the next one to come out, it was, sure you know, that it was really exciting. Um, but it also, because I was a little bit younger, mm-hmm. I think, like I said, I started reading them um, when I was maybe 11, and like four or five of them were already out, um, Oh wow! at least, yeah, so I was just able to sort of breeze through them, read them all, um, which is, you know, interesting as an 11-year-old, it's not, mm-hmm. um, like, I didn't necessarily grow up with him until it got, like, to the point where, okay, I'm waiting for book seven, and I'm watching the films. The films were more where I, I felt like maybe I was growing up with the characters a little bit because they came out later. And so I, it sort right. of corresponded with my age a little bit more. And you're visualizing them too. Yeah. Um, so it was weird. I was always surrounded by like older cousins and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and like an older brother who's six years older than me. Yeah. So uh, for me, I always felt like the youngest. And reading this, I think... Maybe that's why I didn't start it when I was younger because, you know, it's kind of hard. I think 11 is, like, the perfect age. I agree. Yeah. I know we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Voldemort's relationship with Nagini as it's portrayed here in this chapter. Um, And then we we kind of touched on it a little bit. Like, he sends Wormtail to go milk her. Mm -hmm. 
I'm like, all right. Super awkward That's wording there, sure. JK. <laughs> That's her. I'll go, I'll go handle that right now. <laughs> right away. Um, but it's also interesting, you know, she like slithers by Frank. Mm-hmm. She communicates to him. And they show this in the film. Um, so if you're paying attention, you can catch it that she's communicating to Voldemort that there's somebody outside right. and, and she's basically the reason that he dies. Yeah. Um, and it's cool to see, like, you, you don't see much snake talk happening as much as you do in, chap- in chapter two, in book two, mm-hmm. in Chamber of Secrets. So, like, yeah. now to see it in somewhere else come back again, mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, if you think about how Voldemort talks to and about Nagini mm-hmm. versus how he talks to and about Wormtail. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. He values her so much yeah. more. Yeah. So much And you more. don't see that in the film. Mm-hmm. Like, in this chapter here, I think it would have been cool. Um, it, it would have been a cool scene mm-hmm. to show, like, his care for Nagini and, you know, his concern for her when, mm-hmm. you know, you don't know then, but... Now we know she's a horcrux, and mm-hmm. it's like, oh well, you know, she foreshadows it so well that mm-hmm. how close his relationship with Nagini for that reason. Yeah, because there's literally a piece of him inside of her. <laughs> like it's maybe the worst kind of narcissism. Like, <laughs> I agree. He's just so disgustingly in love with himself. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and it's shown to a snake. Yeah. I don't know. It's just He turns himself into a snake. He puts himself in a snake and any other freaky context. <laughs> you know, it's just... it's. Let's make that wording a little bit more awkward yeah. because it wasn't awkward enough. <laughs> it's just all of it is awkward, man. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of like weird sexual undertones that maybe uh, don't get talked about that much in these books. I mean, uh, I, I think, think JK. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> she uses the word ejaculated quite a lot. Uh, <laughs> Is it a British thing? I maybe like. I don't know. Americans have just... dirty minds that just lead to that quicker. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's just like a literary thing. You know, sometimes there's just words that are used in literature that right. uh, maybe is not the most colloquial or like. The most everyday thing that we might say. Yeah, but then my nasty brain goes to something else, and I mean, yeah. <laughs> and then I blame the author. <laughs> it's like, what are you thinking? We're gonna think about, <laughs> ma'am, writing your children's books. The word ejaculate. Come on. Oh man, but yeah, I do like to see the relationship that he. Well, not the relationship, but like the the dynamic. Yeah, between mm-hmm. him and the snake early on. Yeah, even if it's only for just this chapter that you you really see it. I mm-hmm. think it's a good. It's a good foreshadowing effect to what's going to happen later. So It sucks that it wasn't shown in the movies. I have a question for you. Oh, boy. Have you, have I ever told you or have you ever heard about the theory of how, um, how Voldemort, like, got this weird baby body that he has right now? Um, no. No. Okay. Mm-mm. So... I confuse this with the theory on how to make a horcrux. There's, like, a couple things that JK has said in the past, like, either in interviews or, or like, in her through mm-hmm. her Twitter, um, where she says the process is just, like, too terrible and she's not going to tell us what it is. And so one of those things is 
how Voldemort becomes, like, how he sort of gets a body again, you know, mm-hmm. this weird baby body thing mm-hmm. happening. Um, and they think, or I guess some people theorize, it's very awkward to talk about, <laughs> I can but, like, see that. <laughs> yeah, that he impregnated... Bertha. So Bertha Jorkins is the woman, you mm-hmm. know, that uh, who used to work at the ministry, and then they end up killing her, and they talk about it a little bit in this chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, so that like Wormtail, like raped and impregnated her, and then he, and then Voldemort like possessed the fetus or the baby. That's like, that's weird. Yeah. I mean, it's a theory. She's never, like, come out and said, this is what it is, but this is what some people think, because, I mean, when we last see Voldemort before this chapter, he is, well, I mean, you know, a a weird, like, memory horcrux version of himself, and Mm -hmm. then before that, he's just, like, living in the back of some dude's head, you know? So, same way he, like, possessed Quirrell's body mm-hmm. and like was able to live through that. Mm-hmm. The thought process is that he did that to um, a baby or a fetus, and that's how he had this sort of corporeal form that could then be turned into the actual Voldemort once he did the whole ritual with Harry. Yeah, yeah, that's weird. Yeah, and I'm trying to find flaws in it. Mm-hmm. So my brain is working right now. <laughs> but I mean, you also see that fetus-looking thing mm-hmm. in Harry's vision. Or in Harry's King Cross station with mm-hmm. yeah in the seventh with or the, the eighth yeah. movie whatever yeah or well, in the seventh book too mm-hmm. you see you, they describe it yeah I don't know I I don't I really don't I've never tried to think about how he came to that I never thought of this because either, he, he like... when he's talking to his Death Eaters in this book mm-hmm. and he's explaining what happened and then. He was just ready to kill baby Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. And before he knew it, he was, like, just, he disappeared into nothing. Like, mm-hmm. he doesn't remember anything. He saw the flashing green light, and then he was forced to go away. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't, he doesn't explain how he was forced away or how he ended up moving. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't think it has anything to do with Bertha Jawkins. Well, what do you think her role was in all of this? Like, why do you think they used her at all in the first place? I mean, they were just lucky to stumble upon her. Lucky in what way? That she, like, gave them information? Like, mm-hmm. they were able lucky to... Lucky that, you know, she has this reputation of already being a forgetful witch, and she works at the ministry. Let's take advantage of this poor woman who's wandered into our web mm-hmm. and and legit take advantage you know get her memory right or, you know take off the memory charms that were on her because it was already modified by Barty Bar- Barty mm-hmm. it was already modified by Barty mm-hmm. pretty strongly and they worked on breaking that down and then getting all the information they needed from her and then killing her I don't think I don't know. It's weird. It is weird. And it wasn't anything that I ever thought of until I heard it mm, somewhere. The problem is I'm, I'm, I'm mixing it with horcruxes. Mm-hmm. He's not making a horcrux at all. No. Yeah. Yeah. I need to keep those separate. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm thinking there. 
like what was he before he impregnated or before he took over the fetus that I don't know. You know? I don't know if he was like, was he still living on unicorn blood? Like, But that's what I'm saying. Like, he must have been, he wasn't a ghost. He wasn't a man. And he says it often, like, I was neither alive nor dead. Mm-hmm. So what were you? I think that's always think just they, up for interpretation. I don't think yeah. it's, it's necessary to, like, ground the theory and, like, make it a, a being. He just wasn't a being. I think, too, it talks about, and I forget where this is, so I might be wrong. But I, I feel like I've heard... Or read, um, excuse me. Um, (laughs) You know it's carbonated. Um, No, yeah, he used to like possess like creatures, right? So like Mm -hmm. rats and snakes and different like yeah animals and things in like you know wherever he is, like the Albanian forest or whatever. Yeah. it's, it's honestly it's a whole other realm of magic yeah he's not a ghost he's not in a portrait he's not living he's not dead he's not a i don't know yeah i think it's just an interesting question to it ponder. really is mm-hmm. wow i never would have thought of that me neither girl didn't he meet up with nagini there um i have no idea when he acquired nagini I mean, we'll definitely find out with this Fantastic Beast. True. Plot. True. Which is cool. Because apparently she's an Asian woman. I think it's mentioned. In, in the book. Mm? Maybe? I never remember anything being mentioned about Nagini except... Yeah, I don't remember anything being mentioned yeah. about her, like, origins. Okay, so then I'm just getting him... I'm just getting it confused with him possessing snakes and rats and stuff. Maybe. Okay. We'll, we'll put a pin in that. Yeah. We'll think about it. <laughs> we'll right. research it. Let's go to chapter two. Yay. The scar. Okay. As I flip through my pages. Honestly, this this entire episode that we're covering chapter one through four bugged me because none of it is in the movie. Yeah. Pretty much after chapter one, chapters two, three, and four are just like not mentioned at Non-existent, all. Non-existent. Not, not even a little bit. Literally and honestly, the Riddle House chapter isn't that. Yeah. It's. It, like minuscule, yeah, yeah. In the length of it's so rich. The film, <laughs> it's so rich. It's so good. And then, you know, in the film version, he wakes up and he's like already at the burrow with Ron and Hermione, and they're all mm-hmm. going to the Quidditch World Cup. Which, like, I understand that these next few chapters are not super necessary. But I think a little bit, and, and I don't know if it's just my want to always see him at the Dur- at the Dursley's house because mm-hmm. I get to witness what he's escaping from, and right, and maybe it's just my attachment to like book one where he gets to leave. So like I want to see him leave every book <laughs> or every movie. I want to see him leave the Dursleys. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, I think here just would have been a, a, a just such a good chance to see the interaction of the Dursleys and. Here's a little more reasons to hate them. Here's a little more reasons to understand the dynamics between muggles and wizards and the way some muggles see wizards. Like it's and the way that chance. some wizards see muggles or uh, interact with muggle customs, which is not at all. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and especially because the leads are just so nice and they want to understand and they want to do it right. They try. They try really hard. And like, <laughs> maybe a lot of wizards don't do that. Like, screw you guys, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't care about your customers. It's stupid. And then the Dursleys, like, still don't appreciate it. I yeah. mean, they don't, they don't just not appreciate it. They are, like, <clears throat> diametrically opposed to the Weasleys and everything they stand for. And um, just completely disgusted with the Weasleys. Yeah. And the way that they try to adhere to muggle customs. So it's kind of sad. It is. But honestly, the Dursleys are just... A whole other type of yeah personality in a, in in their own way because I mean they don't obviously they feel that way about wizards but they feel that way about other muggles too yeah they're just they're just, just committed to normalcy you know yeah and Lord forbid anything <laughs> fucks that up you know yeah um so yeah chapter two starts with Harry waking up in the Dursley house in the middle of night in his room and you know his scar is hurting. And all he's thinking about is what to do um, with the fact that his scar is hurting. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the first time that his scar has... This is like the first we see of his scar hurting him while Voldemort is not actually around. Yeah. Um, because in previous books, he's had, you know, scar pains. But it's been when, like, Diary Riddle is around or... Sorry, I needed another butter beer. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Um... Yeah, it's always like when Voldemort is near, mm-hmm. and now it's just happening um, out of nowhere, and he's obviously concerned, and I don't think we get that concern nope. in the film. Not at all. Not even a little bit. And it's because, especially in this chapter, you see all the possibilities that are going on in his head. Mm-hmm. What should I do? What does this mean? He, If I say something, what's going to happen? If I don't say something, what's going to happen? Like mm-hmm. He is so concerned about his scar hurting right now. Yeah. He and, doesn't he doesn't know who to contact. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know how to go about it. Um he doesn't want to worry people, but he also thinks he it's just, not good. Right. So yeah. And honestly, this is just another example of why sometimes you need the book to watch the movies because had I not read the books, I wouldn't have known something like this just solely by watching the movies of mm-hmm. how important or how significant is the fact that your scar hurts. Mm-hmm. Like now, after reading and I watch the movies, I can see the you know apprehension on his face mm-hmm. when you know his scar is hurting in the movie when he he wakes up after Hermione tells mm-hmm. him to wake up and you know he's just like sitting up and he's really concerned, but it looks like he's just frantic because he's waking up so early. But now I know you're really worried about your scar hurting right now. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have I wouldn't have had that lens watching the movie had I not read this chapter. It's a lot harder to pick up without the prior knowledge, mm-hmm. um, with like the few tiny details that give yeah. you in the film. And it makes me wonder if like the director tells them that, or if J.K. Rowling tells them that, like, listen, you need to have this look because you're not going to say it, but you need to show apprehension. Or mm-hmm. it, it makes me wonder because now I see him wake up and I'm like, you're really concerned. Yeah, I'm watching like. Daniel Radcliffe's facial expression. Right. <laughs> I need you to portray this correctly. <laughs> I need to get the same feeling I got when I was reading. Okay. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, the pressure then. is so real on the actors now. Mm-hmm. Bonkers real. Yeah. Especially for the things that they're leaving out. I, I need to see it somehow in the way you portray your character. I think it's probably really intimidating for an actor to um, 
uh, I don't know, to, to have to play a role um, from a book series, a role that's been adapted from a book or a series. Yeah. Because um, there's so many expectations there. Well, this is one of them. Yeah. For sure. I mean, play right or the world will hate you. Hate's <laughs> <laughs> a strong word. I mean, you know. You just get criticized for the rest of your life because the yeah. movie is just going to be around. You'll be frank for the rest <laughs> of your life. <laughs> What a lethal frame. I know. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> so. Um, yeah. So in this chapter, you also see the interaction with Sirius, which is something that bugs me because I love Sirius. And when I read this chapter and I saw how much he wrote, and Harry, I thought I was like, oh my God, yay, you're such a good godfather, even though you're on the run and, you know, you're wanted for I don't know how many galleons. Mm-hmm. You're still reaching out to make sure that your godson is okay. <laughs> uh, listeners, let's remember that Noemi's dog is named Sirius Black. I love Sirius okay? Black. She loves Sirius. He's my favorite character. <laughs> Hands down, my absolute favorite character. For yeah. so many reasons. This being one of them. He's very good. Like, he was just bonkers ready to take over the role of his god of, of godfather. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was ready the second he found out. Lillian um James died mm-hmm. give me Harry that's what he told Harry like let me take him I'll take him now mm. like he was just ready like damn it like my, my best friends are gone but please like I need my I need my godson bro come on <laughs> it really like kills you when you think about what he would have done for Harry how much he loved Harry and then the fact that he was completely separated from Harry for 13 yeah. years yeah or 12 years and the fact that Harry had no idea who he was until he was literally 13 years mm-hmm. old. And then he thinks he's the guy that murdered his parents, mm-hmm. basically, like, by proxy. Yeah. I mean, going back to our episode of Prisoner of Azkaban, but, I mean, it's just... You can't help but to fall in love with his constant, like, loyalty to Harry. Yes. Like, what made him so happy inside of Azkaban with Dementors? Mm-hmm. The fact that Wormtail was alive... He could prove his innocence and get back to Harry. Mm-hmm. That was what kept him happy against Dementors, a bunch of Dementors. Constantly being surrounded by Dementors. For that was years. what made him happy. After 12 years, that was what made him happy and willing to escape. Mm-hmm. Able to escape at that. He was able to transform and get past Dementors. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. He's great. Harry and made his, him happy. <laughs> his story is heartbreaking. <laughs> it is. And I'm totally with you. He is an amazing character. Yeah. He's one of my favorites. Yeah. So you see Harry um, in this chapter mention his letters to Sirius and Sirius, you know, sending these tropical birds and, mm-hmm. you know, updates and, you know, if your family and your cousin and your aunt and uncle give you any problem, just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> like, like he's actually going to do something from however many millions, not millions, but thousands of miles away he is in some tropical island. Yeah, but it's the pup that counts. <laughs> of course, of course. And the fact that he even gives Harry that idea, which then enables Harry to sort of scare his uncle into letting him go. Which we'll get to in a second. Yes. But um, awesome point. But yeah, it's it's super sweet. And, you know, I don't think we get to it in this chapter, but when we finally see Sirius's response to Harry's scar hurting, it's like one of true concern. Yeah. Um. And just the fact that he has that person, that, like, adult that he can sort of Mm -hmm. turn to in this really, like, 
scary time he's having. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really special, Thank and you. I love their relationship. And then, can we just talk about the birds that he sends? <laughs> Harry? <laughs> what are they, like birds of paradise or something? No, yeah, and he's like, oh, I couldn't. I couldn't even let one in because, like, the wings were so big or they were too large to fit in the window. Um, (laughs) I'm sorry, but I love Hedwig in this chapter. I absolutely love Hedwig in general. I don't think they show her personality as much as they should in the movie because, I mean, obviously it hurts anyone when you see a pet die Mm -hmm. and, and you see Hedwig fall. But, man, when you see her personality leading up to her death in the books... Yeah, it hurts even more. Yeah, it's that much more heartbreaking. So I loved the part in this chapter where um, she's just jealous of all the birds coming in here and like stepping on her territory. Like, Mm -hmm. Harry is mine. Yeah. Who do you think you are? And the poor girl is like caged while these Mm -hmm. like beautiful birds are coming in, like delivering the mail, and Harry can't use her because she's too easy to trace. And yeah. Yeah, so she's she just, just all like, fly. yeah, she's all bummed. She's still and very loyal to him, and yeah, you know, she's like, get away from my Harry, like he's mine. <laughs> she's very sassy. And she is very sassy, but I it's for her older. Her so then, I mean, I think it adds more to that, you know, to that notion that it's she's his only tie to the magical world. Yes, definitely. And when you see her personality, you see why. Mm-hmm. It's it's really sweet. I mean. Just think about what, how many other birds actually, I don't know, like, exist that would show that much personality. Mm-hmm. Like, literally be a companion to him while he's, like, all yeah. alone in, like, this terrible house with mm-hmm. people that hate him, with people he hates. I mean, was it in Prisoner of Azkaban or Chamber of Secrets where she... She goes out to every one of Harry's friends and tells them, give him a present. Like, I'll deliver it, but he needs presents for his birthday. Is that the second one when he doesn't get any letters? So it's the third one. The third one. It's the third one where she's actually allowed to, you know, be out. Mm. Um, And she's bringing him stuff. Like, she went out knowing that I'm going to bring stuff back. Mm. You know, I'm going to remind them. They didn't need reminding. I think it says it in the text. You know, Mm -hmm. people ended up sending him stuff anyway and it was the first time he got birthday presents um but she was going to make sure yeah she's a good girl yeah man. It's, I, I love seeing her personality in any part of the book because you don't see it in the movie you really don't Mm-mm. the most she'll do is like i don't know bite yeah <laughs> nip at his fingers like that's it you really don't get yeah. the sense of how instrumental she is in sort of keeping him sane right. while he's yeah. stuck at the Dursleys yeah. every summer. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Poor girl, she deserved better. <laughs> <laughs> she deserved to see life after Voldemort. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, <laughs> on that note, um, shall we, we move, on move on? Chapter 3, yeah. Because she is his only tie... To the wizarding world while he's stuck at the Dursleys dealing with Dudley and dieting Dudley. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best part in this book. Yes. I I really think the fact that he he's gotten so fat and so unhealthy (laughs) that now everyone in the house has to go on a diet. Amazing. It's 
<laughs> I just love when they mention, like, she does really good in just showing how much of a spoiled brat he is mm-hmm. through his parents. Yeah. I think... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. This is part of the reason why I love, like, Dursley chapters in general, and I know a lot of people don't, but... It's like some of the most ridiculous stuff we see in the books and some of the funniest stuff we see in the books is in these beginning chapters when everything's with the Dursleys mm-hmm. because Dudley is always like fatter and fatter. Mm-hmm. Um, Petunia is always horse-faced. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Vernon is always like turning purple with rage and it's amazing. <laughs> and their dynamic is just, it's so interesting to see like all the things that they do for Dudley how they treat him in comparison to, like, how they treat Harry, and then how Harry is sort of able to, like, scare them into behaving. (laughs) It's pretty great. I don't know. I enjoy those chapters, usually. I mean, not always, but for the most part, I think they're they're really fun. And I think this one, um, in particular, is pretty hilarious because... So the the Weasleys um, are inviting Harry to join them at the Quidditch World Cup. And um, to do that, he has to ask permission from his aunt, his uncle, to make sure that he can go with them, obviously. So Ron sends Harry a letter and says, okay, mom and dad are sending a letter to um, your, your aunt and uncle, and, you know, let me know what they say, what they respond if they give you permission. And then Ron is really adorable because he <laughs> says, <laughs> he says, um, okay, so we'll come by and we'll pick you up at five if they say yes. If they say no, we'll still come by and pick you up at five. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just so cute. It's so, Honestly, that one made me laugh out loud. I loved that part. It's just mm-hmm. like, you see the Weasley's commitment to give Harry, like, a good summer, even if it's only for a few days. This is another thing that I like about the Dursley chapters, usually, is that it shows, I think, mm-hmm. how Harry's friends are with him. Mm-hmm. How good friends they are mm-hmm. um Hermione is always writing him sending him sugar-free snacks because her parents are dentists <laughs> <Cute. laughs> um Ron's mom is always sending food mm-hmm. Ron is always you know corresponding with him back and forth and it just like sure Harry's lonely and like it sucks and mm-hmm. you know you really feel for him but also it's a demonstration of his friendships that he's forged at mm-hmm. Hogwarts and how um the distance and the time apart, like, doesn't really do anything. They're still always there. Yeah. And I think that's really great. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know, and you definitely see it with the Dursleys when he's stuck there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where you, like, you you feel the loyalty the most. Exactly. Or you feel the friendships the most. Exactly. You feel the gratitude. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Wow, I never, I never actually thought of that. I'm putting that yeah. two and two together. I mean... I don't know, he just has really fucking good friends, man. (laughs) Ron is a really great friend, and that's another thing that super irritates me about the movie is is Ron does not um, get enough credit in the films. He's, I don't think he's represented accurately at all. Yeah, I've seen a lot of critiques in that way, Um, Mm -hmm. and I definitely see the difference, Um, because I'm a a listener of the book, so I listen to the audibles. Jim Dale's portrayal of Ron is very much different to his to uh, Rupert Rupert Grint's Grint portrayal. Mm-hmm. 
I love Rupert Grant. Don't get me wrong. He's oh yeah, hands I think down. he's great. I think he does play Ron really well. I think super. He's well. limited to what he's able to do, possibly because of the script. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're, they're absolutely cinematical choices that he couldn't. Yeah. Ron's character or his portrayal of Ron's character couldn't. Yeah, he can't like carry the whole mm-hmm. thing by himself. You know, it has to be a good script. It has to be representative of, you know, their friendship. And I just don't think they did the best job of that in most of the films. I agree. <sighs> so, and maybe it's in, you know, cutting things like this, um, cutting chapters like this that don't seem as necessary, but you still get the sense of the friendship through them. Yes. Yeah. Um, and we don't really get to see it in the film. And it's, it's a bummer. It is. Especially in this film, where Ron, um, for like half the time, is giving Harry shit. <laughs> because, because you know, he, he becomes a, a Triwizard Champion and Ron's jealous. Oh, yeah, in this book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Um, and it's, I mean, it's also really cool, back to what you said about how, you know, he, he has this connection with his friends and the friendship and the relationship he has with the uh, Weasleys while he's stuck at the Dursley's house with the fact that they're including him Mm -hmm. in going to the World Cup Mm -hmm. because they know how much he loves Quidditch. It's a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I mean, they they even say that in the letter, like, Mm -hmm. we would love to take him off, like, onto this trip with us because they realize it's Ron's best friend. We know what you go through. You're like a son to us. Mm -hmm. Like, please come with, like, let him go with us and, Oh my gosh, I know you wanted to talk about this, the way, like, the hoops that he has to go through yeah. to even get permission from the jersey. It's like, what do you care? You want me gone all the time anyway. You just want to make me miserable and not letting me go to something I want to go to. Yeah, I mean, he, he has to play his uncle in order to get permission to go. He has to pretend that it's, like, not that big a deal to him. Mm-hmm. Um, then he has to, like, casually mention his wanted criminal uh, godfather, Who's wanted for murder? Yeah, <laughs> the murder of Muggles. Intense <laughs> cough, cough, wink, wink. He will hurt you. <laughs> you better let me go. Honestly, as from a teenager's standpoint, it's like mom said no. Let me ask dad. Yeah, yeah, it is. Let it's... me let me maneuver to how I can yes go. But it's and you it's... know it's very much different. So yeah. it's, it's weird. It's not to, like, the normal teenage extent, right? Like, Harry really needs to, like, work hard. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to do something that's not bad, not, you know, it's just... Yeah, and they don't care. They don't want him around. Like, but they, they don't, don't enjoy his company. Exactly. Lord forbid he does something he enjoys. Exactly. They're like, it's already bad enough you're weird and you're embracing your weirdness of being, um, of being oh, a wizard. Yeah. Like, no, we're not going to let you do anything. Yeah. They're just the worst. They're the worst. And um, and poor Harry really has to, like, play his uncle in order yeah. to to do this. And while all of this is happening, Dursley's freaking out because the invitation that the Weasleys sent him <laughs> is covered, like, every inch in postage stamps. So, clearly... But they don't know. I know. Clearly, they don't um, understand Muggle customs, and what I think a lot of other people would find comical, um, Vernon finds, like, like, I don't know, apprehensible. Like, he's just like, oh my god, the postman was laughing, and, like, he's gonna think that we're crazy people, and, you know. Lord forbid. This obsession with, like, being 
normal. Yeah, the normalcy thing you touched on earlier. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it literally clouds or frames everything that they do. Yeah, I agree. And how they react to everything, so... Which makes them small-minded mm-hmm. imbeciles. Yeah. To say the least. <laughs> and the Weezys are trying, you know, they're yes. they're doing their best, and it's not enough. So Vernon is, like, enraged by this quote-unquote embarrassing, you mm. know, letter that they've received. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Harry has to really, like, I don't know, he has to really Switch, work him. Yeah, he has to, like, switch the dialogue. Like, I get it, but come on, like. Yeah. Give them credit. Yeah, just let me go. Mm-hmm. It happened. It's normal. You don't think it's normal. It's normal for them to at least try to understand your customs. At least mm-hmm. give them credit for that, but no. Yeah. Um, but I think Harry does really well in manipulating his family. Like, oh, even when things usually so well. don't turn, doesn't turn out the way he wants it to, I think he still has such a way of, of already manipulating them and kind of maneuvering mm-hmm. them to the best of his ability. <laughs> He knows how to push their buttons, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah, and he does it on purpose. Mm-hmm. So and I it's amazing. Like his teenage rebellion. Can we talk about his snarkiness? Yes. I love his snarkiness. It's so good. <laughs> especially when he gets older. Man, he is just letting them have it. Especially yeah. when, I think it's in this chapter, when the, you know he uses Sirius as a threat. Like, you know, mm-hmm. let me just write my godfather a letter to tell him that you guys won't let me go. <laughs> and then he's like, fine, you can go, you know write your uncle and you write your godfather and let him know that we let you go <laughs> we were good to you and we allowed you to go and then he's so snarky and he's like well thanks that's great well that grapefruit was delicious knowing damn well <laughs> poor Dud- dudley's over here he's like dying on his diet it's like that was so good it was a great grapefruit now i'm gonna go upstairs and indulge in my food that I have people send over that you guys don't know about. All of my cakes, my birthday cakes and my rock cakes from Hagrid and I'm really curious about his rock cakes. Oh my god. Yeah, I don't know. Harry is um amazing. He comes more and more into his own with every book, I think. Yeah. Um and so his sass and his snark is just like is real. It's so real. And it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so now we're down to our final chapter of the episode. He is back Back at the burrow. No, actually, this still has to do with him and his on his way to the burrow. Yes, in this chapter, he's heading back to the burrow. Heading back. Um, but the the chapter is called "Back to the Burrow," and in it, um, we see the Weasleys come and sort of fetch him. But instead of doing it by means of a car, which is what the the Dursleys were expecting, Mm -hmm. um, they come through the fireplace, which has been boarded up by the Dursleys because, I don't know, they're, like, scared of receiving unwanted letters again, (laughs) like they did back in the day. I don't know. So, you know, their fireplace is all boarded up. Um, And then... We have Mr. Weasley, Fred and George, and Ron all arriving, trying to come through, all getting stuck because they can't get through the boards. This would have been such a hilarious scene in a movie. It's very It would have been the coolest. Out of all the four chapters that is not in the movie, this part would have been so cool to, again, see the dynamics between 
a muggle family and a wizarding family mm-hmm. and try to bridge them two together. Like, it would have been such a cool, funny, awesome scene. Yes. To have, like, to just see Harry and the Dursleys on the living room waiting impatiently and then just to hear, like, a loud explosion and, like, banging <laughs> in their fireplace. And then we get, I mean, the whole thing, it's very cinematic, the way it's described, the way it's set up, like, I can literally picture it. Perfectly. It would have been an amazing scene. Yeah, absolutely. It would have been hilarious, it would have been great comic relief (laughs) for what becomes a very dark film later on. And you even hear the dialogue, (laughs) hold on, I'm going to read it because it's just too good. Please do. That they were left in doubt barely a second longer, voices could be heard from inside the blocked fireplace. Ouch, Fred, no, go back, go back. There's been some kind of mistake. Tell George not to, ouch! <laughs> George, no, there's no room. Go back quickly and tell Ron. I'm sorry, as a muggle, that would have been freaky as hell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that would have been bonkers scary. I think they had such a good opportunity there to especially, have a good, funny scene. Yes, especially, you know, like, weird, closed-minded muggles who mm-hmm. are terrified of literally anything magical at all if they just like hear random voices coming from their fireplace i think they would like lose their minds yeah oh um, yeah absolutely it would have been great to see on film mm-hmm. i would have loved that um i agree we also see once they're able to get out um <laughs> fred and george being classic fred and george <laughs> um they trick Dudley into eating one of their uh, candies, which is very fun. Or dieting Dudley. I know, and he's like desperate for anything with sugar. Uh, so, of course, he goes for it because he is a pig. Right. Um, as his appropriately given uh, curly Q tail <laughs> used to show. <laughs> um, yeah, so he eats this, and then I forget what it does to him. Does it make his tongue really long? Is that what it does? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is like the very, very beginning stages of Weasley's Wizard Wheezes. Yeah. Which is mm-hmm. Fred and George's entrepreneurial mm-hmm. baby. Mm-hmm. And you see it start here. Yeah, and again, would have been great foreshadowing to what comes Mm-hmm. Later in the series, yeah, um, I agree. In movie five and six, I want to say I think mm-hmm. six is when they open up their shop. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, so it would have been just like great to set this up. Yeah. In film. Yeah, and I it think, would have been hilarious. Yeah. They do. No, I mean they do show in, in the movie in this movie um, for Goblet of Fire. They do show like their entrepreneurial skills or like Mm -hmm. their businessman skills when they're placing bets and right you know trying to make some money there you you see creating aging potions yes you see the the businessmen like Mm -hmm. personality come out of them and then and that's true in book five is where you see like all right let's invest well actually no at the end they're already having their idea in book four aren't they because harry gives them their winnings to start. Yes, which is another thing that's not shown in the film. It's not shown in the film. No, mm-hmm. they're already really trying to start out their business. Mm-hmm. They're, they're already having their idea. They're already planning. Mm-hmm. They just know that they need money. Yeah. And I mean, and you get their sense of passion <laughs> in their prank with Dudley. Mm-hmm. They, <laughs> they are ruthless. They really are. Maybe not the most ethical. Um... I mean, we freak out, but... They're wizards. They know that it could be 
fixed because it's just a prank. Of course, you know, the Dursleys are going to freak out because they're As they did. Yes. Um, And then, you know, once Mr. Weasley tries to help, they're just, like, not having it at all. he's like, honestly, please, let me help. (laughs) It's very simple. It's just an engorgement charm. I can can help. No, but they're just freaked out altogether. It's more reason as to why they hate magic. Mm -hmm. So don't use magic to fix the magic. It's a very very small way of thinking. Stupid way of thinking. Like, let me fix it. <laughs> I guess they don't just, tr- they just don't trust them. So I guess it's somewhat understandable. Not that I'm defending them, but still. That's the Dursleys. That's kind yeah. of their MO. And I love Mr. Weasley uh, in this chapter. Mm-hmm. I think you're the one who mentioned it. His fatherly figure comes out mm-hmm. to defend Harry. And it's really nice to see. And it's, it's not even, I mean, I totally understand where he's coming from, um, but, like, it's not even that huge of a thing that he really gets passionate and upset about. Like, okay, the Dursleys don't really want to say bye to him. Like, they don't want to, oh yeah, like, tell him how to save Trip and mm-hmm. stuff. And, and that just really takes Mr. Weasley aback, and he's like, are you are you serious right now? Like, yeah, you're like, not going to see him until next summer. Mm-hmm. Harry said goodbye to you, he said. Didn't you hear him? Like, you must have not heard him because... There's no way you could be this cruel. Yeah. And, you know. What do you know? They can. <laughs> well, no, they are. <laughs> they are actually the worst. Yes. Um, but, yeah, Mr. Weasley is just, like, he immediately comes to Harry's defense. Mm-hmm. And he really, like, puts the Dursleys in their place. Like, even after he's done all of these things that, mm-hmm. you know, I think most people would probably be like, oh, shit, we've really upset them. Like, we've, right. we've uh, locked down their fireplace and made a mess and this like, was even before messed up their kid mm-hmm. <laughs> um and even like with having done all that he he has no problem telling them like what the hell is wrong with you right yeah and i find that like really admirable and really mm-hmm. sweet like he's definitely a yeah, father figure yeah and i mean it, i think it adds on to just the aspects of the weasley parents you mm-hmm. know trying to be trying to fill that void for harry like even the fact that he came to pick up Harry. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to go pick him up. Like, something about it is just so fatherly. Like, you know, I'm here to take you, like, to our house so you can have fun with us and mm-hmm. spend time with us and finish your summer here and then we can go to school together. Like, mm-hmm. it's that want to be with Harry that's so, it's, it's just so inspiring. It makes you fall in love with him. Yeah. And if you think about, like, so who was invited to this Quidditch World Cup, right? It's... Outside of their own family, it's Harry and Hermione. Always. Ron's two friends. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. They don't have, like, Lee Jordan coming with yeah. them to the Quidditch World yeah. Cup. Like, not Fred and George's friends, not Ginny's friends. And I just think it's really interesting how, like, oh, they weird. really take Harry that. under their wing. Yeah. Um, and Hermione's a muggle-born, so her she's she has her parents but her parents don't know anything about this world yeah that's probably why they're always like exactly Hermione so she can you know be with us and spend time here and I mean Mr. Weasley's always willing like are your parents here let me go talk to them like Mm -hmm. it's just they're so great man and you see you definitely out of the entire series I think in this chapter is where you see his fatherly figure Mm -hmm. or his fatherly you know step in to mm-hmm. to Harry. You you see it the most in just this little interaction. Yeah. It's great. It's really sweet. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, the previous chapters show a little bit of that from Molly when she sends mm, him mm-hmm. the cakes and, you know, she writes the letter to the Dursleys and it's mm-hmm. all like, they're just really trying to take care of him and it's like the yeah. most heartwarming thing I agree. ever. Even though he was kind of like gypped when it came to his actual family, you know, his his own blood like doesn't really, you know, take care of him like they should. They don't treat him as family. They Mm -hmm. treat him as a nuisance. Mm -hmm. He got really lucky when it came to um, sort of this chosen family that he has. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's mentioned. I don't know in what book. Pardon me. I really don't think it's this one. Um, But I think it's actually in the last. No, I lie. I think it is this one mm-hmm. where Molly, like, you see her hesitation in wanting to talk about the Dursleys in a, in a negative manner because mm. she's the one who meets Harry um, at the school before the third task, mm. which we'll, we'll obviously get into later. Yes. But, I mean, it's it's just another example of the way the Weasleys fit into this boy that he has. Mm-hmm. And while I do think it's that's explored in the films, I don't think it's explored enough. And yeah, I, to its full extent. Yeah, I, I think this is going to be my criticism, like always. It's that I I want more mm-hmm. because we see it from Molly's perspective, but like, how often do we see Arthur actually like being this fatherly figure yeah. that he can, he often is in the books. Oh, I mean, we're going to critique enough when we get to Deathly Hollows, but oh, I'll yeah. mention it now, that it's the way they... It's, it's not the way. It's the amount that they do for Harry that mm-hmm. isn't shown in the movies mm-hmm. at all. And, you know, the fact that she's the one who makes his birthday cake when he turns 17 and they give him a watch and, you know, he hugs her with such, like, intensity, like a mother. Mm-hmm. Like, those things aren't shown in the movies at all. And it's such a big deal. I don't know if in the movies they're trying to, like you know, add on to the sorrow that is Harry Potter and, like, his, you know, lack of parents and lack of family and let's not portray the Weasleys in their attempt to, I keep repeating it, to fill that void. Mm-hmm. We're not going to show that because we're just going to add on to the cinematical tragedy that is, you know, the loss of his parents. Mm-hmm. It sucks, though, because, man, the Weasleys were just so good. They yeah. had so many moments throughout the book where it's just, like, I'm going to be, I'm going to step in right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe not so much. And they don't even, they never cross the line mm-hmm. of like, you know, disrespect or you're not my father. You know, like yeah. they're always just, they always keep it in line and to the best of their ability, try to be there for him as much as they can without overstepping. I think it's great. And the feelings are completely mutual. Absolutely. Like, he loves them just as much as mm-hmm. they love him and like he appreciates everything they do for him. Mm-hmm. And he really values them as like people and his family. Mm-hmm. Um, so their whole dynamic is incredible. Yeah. I mean, even Fred and George. Yeah. Fred and George very much still treat him like like, like a, a little brother. brother. Mm-hmm. Like a little brother. It's really it's really great to see. I mean, just in you know, in what Chamber of Secrets. Mm-hmm. When they rescue him in the, from the flying car, they're just totally, mind you, they're mischievous. They, they want to be able to partake in any mischievous act, but, but like, let's get in the car and go save Harry. Like, without a second thought. Just without like, a second thought. Yeah, that's totally fine. Let's go do that. We gave it to Dudley because he's always so mean to um, Harry, so let's teach him a lesson and give him this candy that's going to make his tongue grow foot long. Like, it's it's Incredible. nice to see, man. It, it really is. That whole Weasley family. They don't get enough credit in the films, man. They, they don't. really don't. They don't. Ooh, and, and we will get to that. Yeah. 
I think I think that's where we can end this this episode, man. These first four chapters, they do some really good highlighting of the characters' personalities, mm-hmm. and it's just not shown in the films, and it's yeah. really sad. It is. I mean, their personalities are just really, really vital to the story. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what these chapters are really for, even if it's, you know, uh, displaying Voldemort and his relationships with people and his, like, lack of respect for Wormtail. Yeah. Um, like, all of it is just such valuable information that we're not really privy to in the films, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the cinematical choices that are made because yeah. let's just try to fit the most important things about the film. I mean, about the book into a film that's what a hundred and something minutes long. Yeah, I get it. I really do. Mm-hmm. But man, honestly, there were there just there are just some things which we will absolutely get to later in the episode. But there are just some things I could have done without in the movie. We won't oh, mention yeah. them now because. You know, we're going to touch on them in the chapters, but there are just so many things in the in the movies that are not in the books that mm-hmm. I could have done without. Oh, yeah. So, on that note, <laughs> is there anything else you wanted to add? No, this is the end of our episode on Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, chapters one through four. Thank you guys so much for listening to us and joining in on Parchment of Portrait. We will see you guys later. We thank you all for tuning in to this episode of The Writer's Edge, and we hope you tune in next time. You can submit your own podcast to be featured on ours, and you can even submit your own stories about the Writing Center or any questions that you may have. If you'd like more information about the Writing Center itself, visit our website at nova.edu forward slash WCC. You can also reach out to us at WCC at nova.edu or 954-262-4644. Thank you again for tuning into The Writer's Edge, We'll be back on your airwaves real soon.